It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hey, welcome back to American Loser. Uh, I am your host, comedian K.P. Burke. Uh, with me as always is my handsome dilf of a father, Lawrence Patrick. <laughs> Say hello, sir. Hey, hello, hello, hello. All right, behind the ones and twos is our good friend Ming from over here at a shared universe. Thank you for doing this, Ming. Anytime, gentlemen. Nah, I appreciate it. It's for real. It wouldn't happen without you, man. This is part two. Uh, this is the first time we're doing a multiple-part episode, but the topic we picked for American Loser, and I'm being sincere here, if you've never listened to this show before, turn it off. All right. <laughs> if you've never listened to this show before, this is the first time we're ever doing a two-part episode. But what we do every week here is we try to go through some of the shadier moments, maybe the the what you would call the loser moments in American history. Uh, little tiny things that got relegated to a sentence in a history textbook for a high school student. We're going to give you the full scoop on. All right. We uh, have talked about all sorts of characters in the past on this one. This is episode two. All right. So this is coming out a week uh, from now. It is part two. Part two of three. Okay, this is a three-part. This is our Star Wars right here. (laughs) This is a trilogy. Okay. And uh, that's what we're doing. And our topic this week, it's just too mammoth of a topic to cover in one sit-down episode. So we're going to go ahead and uh, this is part two of our series on Tammany Hall. Okay. And uh, just to catch everybody up real quick, Tammany Hall was a men's club, all right, that started back in the Revolutionary War time frame. That was co-opted by Aaron Burr, former vice president, okay, and turned into a political machine in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, it had grown and shrunk in power and esteem since its inception, like we talked about in the first episode. But uh, the massive victory uh, for Tammany Hall, which we ended the first episode on, was the winning of mayoral candidate. Now, the mayor of New York City is a member of Tammany Hall, this pro- political machine of corruption, if you will, Mr. Fernando Wood. Okay, uh, we talked about him. Uh, this caused uh, there was a rampant crime in New York City at the time due to uh, mass immigration. I mean, the civil war is brewing in the country. There's actually a civil war going on between two rival police departments and the New York City police riots. This is crazy shit that's going on here. Um, now, what they need at this time is they need a man who's going to be able to kind of pull the reins of chaos in. Fernando Wood, the mayor of New York, got arrested by the National Guard for Christ's sakes. I mean, they're not. Um, they're definitely headline stealing. But now uh, what you need is you need a guy who's going to run shit. You know what I mean? You need your version of Bruce Springsteen. Okay? You need the boss. And uh, who better than Boss Tweed? All right? William M. Tweed, as he was born affectionately <laughs> known, uh, born April 23rd, 1823. He was born in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, right near Cat's Delicatessen. <laughs> there right. you go. He was a third-generation American. Uh, sure does. I'm talking to the mic. Um, but the third-generation American was of Scotch-Irish descent. And, Dad, he was rumored to have been a Quaker. 
A Quaker. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's following the tenets of uh, being a Quaker then. Not quite. Um, So it does make you laugh here. Uh, Tweed joined the Freemasons, okay, as a boy. And while he was studying to be a bookkeeper, which would go on to be incredibly ironic when you realize the corruption and uh, uh, all the other embezzlement and nonsense that he was involved with, um, Tweed joined the local fire company. Okay. Now, this isn't like our pal Mike Wanklin joining, uh, you know, the fire department so he can put on an SCBA and (laughs) meet girls and stuff. This is um, this is the fire department back in the day in New York City. The one he joined was called the Big Six. Okay. And uh, now the fire departments back then were like gangs. No, they were they were they were bruisers for sure, Um, and they weren't a municipal run kind of a thing it was really much a local territory they would carve out a local territory that any any firefighting that has to happen around here will take care of it so so if you applied that logic to modern day los angeles uh and somebody was having a heart attack and uh the latin king's ems first aid squad tried to report to that but the heart attack took place deep in the crips territory Right. Where they would, people would be crip walking over in order to make sure, no, nah, no, nah, man, you can't be doing that shit. Right. It's the same exact shit with the crazy people of Manhattan around this time frame that fire departments would brawl in the street for the right to put out the fire. Right. Save the foundation. And the, well, the first thing you would want to save is the cash register, but uh, exactly. <laughs> and the liquor. Well, it's a true story out of that, that one scene in um, Gangs of New York that. There would be a guy that would take a giant wood bucket and sit on top of the fire hydrant so that you couldn't find the fire hydrant. So then you're sitting there and you got uh, the hook and ladder guys coming in and figuring it all out as you go. But in this chaos on the streets, when you wanted to prove yourself, all right, because that's where you were, that's where the, it was almost the UFC of its day, okay? And our, uh, our good friend here, Mr. William Tweed, okay, uh, he picked up a, a lot, he picked up a reputation. Because uh, he was known for his uh, swinging, axe-wielding, I'll kick the shit out of anybody who tells me I have to put this fire out kind of a thing. And um, he got entwined in that gang-like uh, world of the fire brawls. So when you pick a, you know, when you get enough attention like he's starting to uh, get here, they decide, hey, this guy's got a future. He's a bruiser. Let's get him involved in politics. Yep. So. He was later run for alderman, which is like a, a council-type position, you know what I mean, and thus starts his political career. So nowadays, if you want a political career, you have to have straight A's. You have to have no knocks against you, no demerits in school. Uh, you have to sit there. You have to be uh, positioning yourself for this your entire life. Back in the day, you just had to win enough playground beating up the bully kind of a thing. You know? You're going to vote for me or I'm going to pound you. Uh, pretty much on this one. So now in 1852 – Tweed is elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Okay, no bullies in there. Uh, during this time, Tweed was largely undistinguished. Okay, so not like a, not a whole crazy lot. He wasn't doing much while he was over there, but he did begin to learn how the machine of politics worked, and he was placed on the executive board of the County of New York Supervisors, and he was put on there because this was an attempt by the, uh, I guess you, you'd call them the modern day Republic. But this is an attempt by Albany to crack into the politics of New York City. So they wind up putting a guy who's going to eventually be known as Boss Tweed. Boss Tweed. In charge of it. Well, his first move, once he gets put on that council, immediately orders a 15% cost of business tax on all vendors in New York City. So you got a shop in New York City, you want to do business here, it's 15% right upstairs to the boss. That's the start. Oh, my God. That is such a great – I mean, it is – can you think of a better business model than that? Uh, Probably – the state of New Jersey. It's a <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, they're not much better on the corruption end of it. Uh, well, I won't say corruption, but as far as taxing and stuff, yeah. We are known as the Soprano State for a reason. Um, by 1853, Tweed is now running the seventh ward. Okay, we covered in the earlier episode. The ward bosses were the guys that would uh, handle the local people's concerns in order to uh, curry favor so that you would guarantee that they would vote for you come election day. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things we didn't unpack in the uh, in the first uh, part of this is how can these ward bosses really control the vote? Um, Excellent. Um, Nowadays, when you go to vote, you're you're doing it privately. You're going into the voting booth or whatever. You're drawing the curtain behind you, so nobody can actually see you, which lever you're you're uh, flipping. Uh, back in this time, in Boss Tweed's time, um, you were handed a ballot by the ward bosses, already filled out, and you would place it into the ballot box in plain sight of everybody within the room, so that they could immediately tell whether or not you voted the right way or, you know, to the right way to their line of thinking that um, all the all the ballots who were already filled out you weren't making any kind of a selection you were simply taking the already filled out ballot and placing it into the ballot box and then somebody from uh, another part of the the political machine was the guy that was actually counting the votes. So if it didn't quite go the right way by simple counting of the ballots, then we'll just have a creative way of counting the ballots to make sure that our guy is going to be placed into the into position of power. He's going to win the election. Now, I got excited here because we like doing our Jersey references. I like making my New York Giants references when I can. But the best is that in the first episode, we get to go back to Aaron Burr. Who did it? We did a whole episode about him, right? So we're doing it. It's okay. Just get into the mic guy. That's it. <laughs> um, but we get to do the uh, the first episode where we talk about uh, uh, Aaron Burr, you know, because his tying with Tammany here. You want to tie in from other previous episodes right now that uh, the Blocks of Eight, it was called. Mm-hmm. That is the voter fraud uh, that was committed in order to swing uh, the states against Grover Cleveland in our very first episode of this show that allowed Benjamin Harrison to win the presidency. So when they talk about voter suppression and uh, voter fraud and all this, it has decided elections before. It's very real. Uh, it still continues today. Still co- now, like you said, now they're filling out those blo- uh, the, the voting ballots with the names on it already. Here's your other tie-in. You ready? There is a practice known as cooping that if you didn't vote for who they wanted to, they would come by and beat the shit out of you. And guess who is a presumed victim of cooping, Lawrence Patrick? Uh, a previous episode, Mr. Uh uh, um, oh, God. <laughs> Baltimore. You were not, but it was in the streets of Baltimore. Yeah. As Cousin Kelly filled in for you that week, right. we covered Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, sorry. Who they surmise got the shit kicked out of him, got put into somebody else's clothes, and they fed him uh, full of opium and whiskey and everything. And so, and by the way, he was Edgar Allan Poe. He's probably already full of whiskey. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, so that, that practice known as cooping, this is how uh, commonplace voter fraud was. That's yeah, why it's voter early so, and often was... Uh, not a recent development that was, you know, you could you could go from ward to ward too. That if you you, you there was no proof of identity or anything that you could go in and vote and then go a couple blocks over to a completely different uh, ward and, and vote again. Shave his mustache and have him vote again. That's it. By the way, we did not cover this one here uh, in the previous episode, but the aforementioned Fernando Wood, the mayor, the first mayor elected, uh, who was a Tammany man through and through. Um, he actually had the Tammany uh, gang, if you will, or the aligned gang, the Dead Rabbits, who were the Irish immigrants that were, um, uh, I guess, fans of Tammany, you would say. 
uh, Fernando Wood actually got caught having the dead rabbits go through the graveyards in New York City and write down names of deceased people and cast votes in their names. Even, so, the, even the dead like Wood. It's a <laughs> Well, um, so that was a funny thing with all that. Now, uh, Tweed, uh, as we're talking about now, Boss Tweed, this is now Tweed's Tammany Hall here. Okay, He's running the seventh ward for Tammany, as we said. He is not trained as a lawyer, but that doesn't matter when you got the right kind of friends. So uh, Tweed was not trained as a lawyer, but uh, he had his uh, friend, Judge Barnard, Judge George Barnard, certify him as an attorney. And, uh, it's not what you know, Kev. It's who you know. Exactly. It's like that Judge line Barnard from uh, Take care of you. It's like that line from Step Brothers. Uh, I'm going to get into the family business. I'm a medical doctor. It's all who you know. <laughs> That's it. So uh, now, through a series of other appointments and stuff like that, he's now able to open up a law office on Duane Street. And uh, Tweed immediately starts using his quote legal services to extort and embezzle. So we talked about that guy uh, Plunkett, George Washington Plunkett, being the better call Saul here. This is essentially uh, what they're doing is almost the Walter White thing now, where it's you got to take the money through the car wash to clean it. <laughs> so um, now uh, he becomes the Grand Sachem. Okay, Sachem, by the way, we covered in the first episode is the Algonquin word that has been co-opted to mean like a chief, if you will, or a boss in uh, Tammany Hall. So the Grand Sachem is the Grand Poobah. All right, big swinging dick in the room is our boy Boss Tweed here now. Uh, he is essentially running Tammany. He's got a bunch of other series of appointments and everything else like that. Uh, it almost gets laughable because uh, he's now able to tighten control over Tammany Hall by doing what? Creating an executive board. All right? So his little ring. He's got his crew that's running shit in there. Like We joked earlier about uh, having uh, Christopher Moltisanti and uh, you know Silvio Dante, all those other guys. That's pretty much what he does. He brings in – and it's also hilarious too because his name pops up on so many things in uh, the he's involved with everything pretty much every committee it's like uh, that uh, episode of Looney Tunes when Bugs Bunny plays every position on the baseball team That's first right. base Bugs Bunny second base Bugs okay it, every possible political committee you could be on Boss Tweed is there <laughs> so Tweed's most lucrative post though turned out to be as deputy street commissioner yeah it doesn't sound like it's going to be a big money maker right no it never does it never does. But uh, Tweed is able to, uh, through becoming the deputy street commissioner, it gives him access to city planning, uh, city funding, and access to all the top contractors. So now if you're a contractor, well, who's going to give you the most work is probably going to be your favorite customer, right? You know a thing or two about working for people. Well, you gotta you got to pay to play kind of a thing with this, uh, that if you are a contractor and you want to get the job, you have to go see Mr. Boss Tweed. Well, he was a vicious man, too, not to be fucked with here. Uh, Tweed was even able to cheat Cornelius Vanderbilt of the Vanderbilts. Yeah, of the big money Vanderbilts. The railroad tycoon Vanderbilts out of some of his Erie uh, – it was the Erie Railroad Company fortune through a series of false claims that were backed up by Tammany guys. So Tweed is such an asshole, he's able to rob another asshole. <laughs> so. That is like the modern equivalent of if I went to Mark Zuckerberg's house and tried to hold him up at gunpoint. <laughs> He's know? a capo. Oh, my God. But anyway, um, now you got bribes to win elections, elections to gain positions. This ring is unstoppable. All right. I think it's time we meet some of the players involved. Uh, the judge who uh, certified Tweed as an attorney despite no law school whatsoever. The My Cousin Vinny moment. Right. <laughs> right. Um, did you say Utes? Utes, yeah. Uh, Mr. George Barnard is now rewarded for uh, his efforts by becoming the recorder of New York. 
Okay, that's a good position. That's not the shitty musical instrument. That's a good position. <laughs> yeah, the middle, the uh, elementary school uh, mu- musical. Yeah, sometimes you get uh, when you're in a position of authority. Sometimes you get nervous about a run-in with the law, right? Not, no, not a problem. Not when you own the district attorney, Mister Peter Sweeney. All right, <laughs> nice Irish name on that one here. Now here's the best name of all. City comptroller. This is the guy that handles the, the, the dollars and cent signs on a lot of the city. A big, big, uh, very important position. And it is held by a uh, tweed ring member. This is the best name of the whole episode. Slippery Dick Connolly. <laughs> All right. That's his name. That's what they called him in the paper. Slippery Dick Connolly. All right. That's a... Uh, that slippery dick, because his name was Richard. Okay, that's not a uh, you know, it's not a wrong hole, Richard kind of a thing. But uh, now all those guys are featured and more in this group called the Tweeds Ring in a political cartoon, a very famous one uh, that's called "Who Stole the People's Money," and then it's all of them pointing in a circle at each other. That the, everyone's pointing to their right and their left, saying, "Well, who stole the money? Twas him." Twas him. So, not he, me. The guy next to me. Well, it's almost like a corporation. That that's that argument that a corporation uh, is a person. Um, now, when you're a corporation, they can't really come after you uh, in terms of uh, the way that they can if you're a private individual citizen. So, if you're a part of a corrupt ring, they can't prove where all the money went because it went to the ring. There's a conspiracy afoot. But uh, kind of interesting stuff with all that. Um, Which again shows the brilliance of Tweed by setting up that whole commission, if you will, that uh, now you don't have one guy that's going to be held responsible, but you have a whole commission and, and everybody can play the blame game to somebody else to their left or to their right. Exactly. A little bit of, you know, spread the blame, spread the wealth, do a little bit of whatever works. Right. But everybody gets a taste. <laughs> well, now uh, the ring would uh, boldly do this one because you hear this a lot where people actually admire what scumbags they were down at Tammany Hall. It's like, man, that was impressive. I can't believe you had the ball. It's like that thing where you almost root for the gangsters in the movie sometimes. Right. Because you can't believe they got away with it. Right. Uh, per example, The Shield on FX, Vic Mackey, Michael Chiklis, my favorite show of all time. <laughs> uh, you, you're almost sitting there. You're like, I can't believe he literally ripped off drug dealers and shot cops. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, this is where they, they really – I was blown away by this one. The Tweed Ring would then – this is their best con ever. They boldly – they're the reason we have an Upper East and West Side of Manhattan, okay? Specifically the Upper East Side, including Harlem, okay? They helped develop Harlem. What they would do is they would go up there. They would buy real estate below value because it wasn't developed up there. There wasn't running water up there, all this other shit. And they would buy all the real estate. Then they would direct the city's resources via all the committees that they were a part of, Okay. And then they would direct uh, – they'd have water put in over there. They'd start getting uh, uh, you know, some other services and everything. So now all of a sudden it's a desirable place to live. And then they would pay contractors with city money. City funds. To do that. So their favorite – so now they're earning more favor with the contractors. So you use the city resources to uh, shore up the shitty property you just bought. Right. Uh, the labor's being taken care of. Everyone's paying you 15% for the privilege to work for you. Uh, that's a 15% just to start. Indeed. And now uh, you go ahead and do that. And then what do you do? Once everything's done, you sell your real estate, make a killing, pocket all the profit. That's it. Holy shit. Talk about site development. Well, there are no site development costs because the city paid for all of that. And the, the best part, too, is that it's uh, it's almost like saying you're, uh, you're creating jobs. Hey, guys, look, I'm creating jobs. Yeah, but it goes even beyond that. So once you sell the property, now somebody wants to put a building up on on uh, the property that was you just bought from 
<laughs> this whole ring. Uh, you got to go back to the ring again now to get uh, permits and you know contracts and everything else. So it was just never ending. No, it was if you wanted something done, it had to go through Boss Tweed. That's essentially the point here. Uh, Tweed is even. This is how far up that goes. By the way, Tweed is even responsible as a board member, an executive board member of the Brooklyn Bridge Company. Okay. Now, the Brooklyn Bridge Company thing is fascinating because somebody asked him, because Brooklyn was its own city at this point. You know, that whole five boroughs thing, that wasn't quite going on just No, yet. no, it was, it was a separate uh, identity. Indeed. And, uh, and a lot of Brooklyn people wanted to go back that way too. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, uh, I got a couple of my good buddies, uh, Chris Stefano and Giannis Pappas, they have uh, – <laughs> they're both like Bay Ridge kids through and through. You right, know, the, the, right. The Barbarino shit. Right. But, uh, man, they can't stand the hipsters on the scooters down there right now. <laughs> used to be a working class neighborhood. It's kind of like with Grandpa, if we would go by Hoboken, he'd be like, that's where all the longshoremen lived. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's a, that, there's a, a, a dog yoga studio there now. That's great. <laughs> so, um, but here's where it got impressive. Um, so now Brooklyn wants to have access to Manhattan. Manhattan recognizes the importance of having access to Brooklyn. Sure. They're going to build uh, a modern marvel for the time, you told me, right, for a absolutely, suspension bridge. Absolutely, a suspension bridge, the longest of, the, of, its, of its kind. Absolutely. So they go ahead and they, they start doing that. Now, uh, how long did it take the Brooklyn Bridge to get constructed? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, it was like 14 years. It, it was a long time in development. And it, it certainly had some complications along the way, one of which the original – uh, conceptual engineer, if you will, uh, Roebling, uh, died and his son had to take over. So it was a. Could you imagine how fucked any project would be that you were in charge of <laughs> that I had to take over? Yeah, and, and he was, uh, when his son took over, he was only like 32 at the time and had no idea what was, oh what was really shaken. But. I'm 31. <laughs> I can't go. finish the crown molding you're doing in the kitchen right now, <laughs> let alone a bridge. Uh, well, it's uh, fascinating stuff with that, too, is that now you have this modern marvel. And, I mean, New York is becoming the center of the world at this point. It's very – clearly the city's on the rise. It's not quite Paris yet. But um, what you need is you need uh, to get guaranteed that this project is going to get funded. So literally somebody asked Boss Tweed. They said, hey, uh, what, what's – What's it going to cost to make sure that we can get approval for this Brooklyn Bridge we've been trying to build? And he <laughs> yeah. goes, oh, yeah, $60,000. That ought to do it. You know, wh- what do you need? Do What votes do I need? No, no, you just need $60,000. Right, right. So they go ahead. They pay him off. Now, because of that, he gets put onto the Brooklyn Bridge Company. All right? And this is a, a very important thing here too. Now, uh, it is paid for by taxpayers from Brooklyn and from Manhattan for the bulk of the bridge. But – it can only be voted on and profited on by private stockholders in the company like Tweed. So taxpayers are paying for it, but I'm making money for some reason. Right. That is the movers and shakers nonsense on that one. But uh, do you have anything else on the Brooklyn Bridge before we move uh, on? No, we can, we, we, you know, we can certainly expand on that a whole bunch. But it was the marvel of its time, and it took so long to do. And it was engineering was just beyond belief for, for, the, for the time. It's still – and it's – remains a national historic landmark today uh, and far exceeded what is its expectations were um, that it's still carrying traffic today. It's one of the oldest uh, bridges um, in the United States that's still carrying traffic today. I mean, we're talking 1870-so. And uh, my, uh, my buddy Kevin Dombrowski got married underneath it. 
in uh, the Dumbo section of Brooklyn, it's okay. called. <laughs> so now you can have your uh, your wedding underneath the uh, one of the most famous bridges in the world. But uh, anyway, not for nothing here, that modern marvel is paid for by political corruption. Isn't that great? See what the yeah, good the good stuff that? that can come out of that sometimes? See that? And everybody said Boss Tweed was a bad guy. Well, he goes out, he makes it happen on that one, man. And uh, the ring is still running the city. Now, here's where they're even more impressive. They run the city. They own the books they cook. All right? So they are their own bosses in terms of the books. They own the police. So what the police are going to... Remember that scene in Goodfellas when uh, Jimmy Conway gets busted moving cigarettes? And they say, uh, so what did Jimmy do? He made them partners. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's essentially what the rule was here. So he owns the books. They own the police. They own the courts. And here's the best part. They even served as their own board of audit, meaning that the, peop- the people that are supposed to be keeping an eye on them every now and then to make right. sure – the inspectors, if you will, to make sure things are on the up and up. They're Tammany guys. So my left hand is – make sure that the right hand is, is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, well, I mean, when you're – when you're that wealthy and you're that popular, I mean, sorry, that necessary to uh, the growth of the city, and uh, if you want to make it, I mean, that's a big swing in dick here. It, there's, I don't want to say because uh, you say Trump and people lose their mind nowadays because of um, just the current politics, but uh, he was one of the wealthiest real estate investors, and he had a hand in everything. I mean, he was integral to the city. The Erie Railroad, uh, all of it. Erie Railroad. uh, He also owned a a printing press company as well, too, the New York Printing Company. And the first thing he did when he took over was he uh, raised the cost of the supplies and then raised the uh, the cost of his product. So he caused his own inflation in order to deepen his pockets a little more. This is market manipulation. You know what I mean? But um, Tweed is immensely popular. And one of the reasons he's so popular is because he's defending Catholic immigrant, uh, immigrants' rights and even passed the New York City Charter, the new New York City Charter, as he had promised. Um, point is, it's powerful to be the mayor, but it is true power to own the mayor. <laughs> that's right. When the mayor works for you, <laughs> that's so, power. And it was very popular. He rejected um, – he was a friend of the Irish though too, uh, that, that mass immigrant wave. And that's not necessarily because of a uh, – uh, an integrity or an honor-based reason. He just knew that he needed his constituents. That was to his power running. base. Yeah. So it's kind of stuff that happened. You see it today in politics too and everything. People try to, to – uh, it's like um, you know that the NRA is going to vote a certain way. So certain candidates position themselves as trying to be gun-friendly to get gun owners to vote for them. So it's not necessarily that you like guns. You just want the gun voters. But um, Now, Tweed would use his many board positions to get projects funded as we talked about. Uh, now, this is so great. He pockets his bribe money, then pays his favorite contractors, pockets their bribe money, and then shows up for ribbon cuttings. <laughs> Ta-da! Look Ta-da, what I did. Look what I did. <laughs> and it only costs the people. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's the, it's like uh, you're doing a group project for school, and the kid that doesn't show up uh, and help out for anything it decides he wants to present the day of. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, now the New York County Courthouse uh, began construction in 1861. Yeah, the start of the Civil War, right? Indeed. Crazy times in America. Now keep in mind, as Fernando Wood discussed in the earlier episode, in his mind, the best move for New York City, all right, because we think of a very liberal, uh, democratic New York City. At the time, they wanted to – they wanted nothing to do with the Civil War. They had – Shitload of immigrants coming in, okay, who, who didn't know much about our politics. Now they're going to get sent off to war. And like you said, one of the biggest jobs you could have coming off the boat 
was to join the Union Army. Right. So, yeah, we're going to go kill those rebels. What they do? Not sure, but they got to die. <laughs> right. So, Not um, sure, but Mr. Lincoln says, here's a gun, and uh, they're going to feed me, and, uh, hey, they might even give me a $300 bounty. That's $300 to go fight for Mr. Lincoln in the Union Army. That was more money than I could have made in the last five years over in Ireland. So now that sounds pretty good, but you know what sounds <clears> even <throat> better? Not having to die. <laughs> yeah. So what they wanted to do is that uh, uh, people who were uh, sympathetic to Fernando Wood, they said, let's go ahead and let's not do this, man. Let's have uh, – let's just stay in New York City where this welfare system is taking care of us. I can get a job as a janitor or a mailman or a firefighter or something like that. And you don't have to deal with any of this shit. So uh, Fernando Wood didn't want anybody involved with the war. They wanted to declare New York City as a free city that would stand on its own You know what I mean, and not have to get involved with all this shit. But uh, that's the time frame we're dealing with here. Now, the New York County Courthouse, like I said, they begin construction in 1861. And if there's one thing our boy Tweed's good at. He knows how to make money off of, of uh, um, government projects. He inflates the cost up to $13 million. That is not $13 million 2018 money. That's $13 million 1861 money, all right, which adjusted for inflation is $178 million. At the time, by the way, that is twice the cost of the purchase of Alaska. <laughs> That's right. Fucking Alaska. <laughs> right. We're building a courthouse. Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> so that was beautiful. We didn't have cruise ships yet to get up there, man. You know, it's a whole weird thing with that. But uh, one example of the uh, the cooked books, if you will. When I say cooked books, I mean um, we're talking about the uh, creative financing. <laughs> exactly. You know, they didn't creative have record a, keeping. Yeah, they didn't have those uh, Vista programs and all that other stuff just right. yet to go ahead and Quick do it books. for you. QuickBooks, there it is. Adobe. Um, one example here. A carpenter. Lawrence, you're a carpenter. Yeah. Have you ever been paid $4.9 million in one month? Uh, the short answer would be no. I hear you. Otherwise, there's another family you're not telling us about. That's right. Um, one carpenter was paid $4.9 million. That's adjusted for inflation here. It was like 300000 back then. But $4.9 million, $2018 for one month's work in a room in this courthouse with little to no woodwork. When you go into a nice courthouse, job. yeah, it's mostly stone and marble and shit, right? Yeah, it's a nice job. So you got, this dude got paid a million dollar a bench pretty much. But what he did do was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we come back to the uh, what's tried and true here is that bribing Boss Tweed is the only way to get things done in New York City. Tweed, uh, he starts living the high life a little bit. He was wearing a, a diamond on the outside of his shirt, which was going to become a, a staple. Stick of pin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was getting made fun of for that, but he was also – I mean, that was like bling. Tweed was wearing bling before you know right. Jay-Z was. But um, Tweed buys a mansion on 5th and 43rd, which is semi-close to what would later become the Empire State Building. Okay. Uh, Tweed has been running his own Empire State for quite some time. See what I did there? Oh, uh, nice. I know. Creative writing major, Brookdale. Wow. Blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but in 1871, Tweed's downfall is beginning, and he doesn't even know. All right. Tammany Hall is now largely Irish and heavy Catholic. The Protestant elites are dealing with it because it's a peaceable time. Everybody's making money. So that's the thing with every mafia war, right? <clears throat> Every right. mafia, yeah, they don't give a shit as long as everybody's making money. When you go to the mattresses, the war has to end because right, not cost your money. People got to earn. So, the Protestant elites are dealing with uh, all this nonsense going on here with Tammany, 
as long as Tammany is proving that they're able to control the Irish laborers, who are this huge immigration force. Right, right? And, the, and the elites are also making money. So, Indeed. Uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's making out here. Well, you had a little hiccup in 1870 with a thing called one of the Orange Riots, and then you have a bigger hiccup in 1871 with the Orange Riot. And this is what proved that Tammany did not have the control over the Irish laborers that they thought. Lawrence Patrick Burke, what the fuck are the Orange Riots? Uh, the Orange Riots, well, they, they have a very long history. Uh, not the riots, but the, uh, the Orange Order. Um, again, we're going back now into English and Irish history. And at the time, uh, there was a, a William of Orange who actually wasn't English, but married an English woman, Mary. And he was Dutch. I'm sorry, that's a William... And William Mary? and Mary, yeah. Uh, like, they don't happen like to have that, a college like named that school. after them, yeah, do they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, William and Mary College. Well, William and Mary married. It was, you know, the, 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 it's fairly hard to get your head wrapped around completely um, Irish and, and English history because it's so interconnected and, and garbled in religious wars and, and back and forth that one monarch is Catholic and then he decides he wants to divorce his wife or annul the marriage and, and decides well, he's going to form his own church and the whole Reformation goes on. And then there is to say that there was hatred between the, the Catholic and the Protestant is only putting it mildly because in modern day times, we have nothing really to compare that to. to but back then, people are going to war over their religious affiliation. Uh, William of Orange um, tries to put down the vast majority, vast Catholic majority in Ireland because Ireland is now a possession of England. Um, there's a big battle fought on Irish soil. It's called the Battle of the Boyne. And William of Orange defeats James II. James II was Catholic. He was also vying for the uh, English throne, as well as William of Orange, who was vying for the English throne with his wife Mary. Uh, anyhow, uh, William defeats James at the Battle of the Boyne. Major thing, a complete put-down of any uh, Irish Catholic um, rights, if you will. Shortly thereafter, there's the, the penal laws are enacted where basically it was an attempt by English law to crush the Irish Catholic, that you could no longer own property, you could no longer, pretty, you were nothing. You were uh, absolutely destitute. You were less than a slave. Um, uh, you had no rights um, and any properties Irish properties that were owned by Catholic were taken away, that by 1798, um, basically 95% of Ireland, which was previously 80% of the, of the land was owned by Catholic, now by 1798, 95% of the property is now owned by Protestants. So I mean, there's, there's a long, long history of hatred between these two. Well, because Protestant Catholics is kind of like a uh, Red Sox-Yankees thing. A little uh, bit too. Yeah, but to the point where we're shooting at one another. Oh, we're not, we're well, not, saying, we're not I, just rooting for the home team here. We're. I can accept that in 2004, the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the uh, American League Championship Series. What I cannot stand is when they make the anniversary post about it every year. <laughs> well, 
that's this is where we're we're leading up oh, to yeah. because they're picking uh, at the scab. Right, absolutely. And ever since the Battle of the Boyne, the Protestants have been holding these major celebrations, um, parades, marches, uh, to kind of rub the Catholics' nose in it that, you know, hey, we won and you're nothing. And this— Would you say there's a little similarity to that with um, that there are the people out there who were just proud to be from the South or maybe they had ancestors that fought in the Civil War, but then there's also those assholes out there that can't wait to fly the rebel flag because it tried. It's their way of reminding other people that they ain't shit. Right. Well, so. yeah. There, there's there's some of that. I mean, you're you're talking about generation after generation after generation, and after a while, you lose sight of hey, why do why do we hate them? Well, because we do. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, anyhow, um, with this vast uh, Irish Catholic immigration wave that comes over to New York City. A lot of these uh, recent immigrants are thinking, well, we're getting away from the uh, put down that we had in Ireland and now we're finally going to America where we're going to have – we're going to become citizens. We're going to have the rights and, and everything else and uh, opportunity and only to discover that once they get into New York City, they're facing the same hatred, the same segregation, the same put downs that they had in the old country because there's an orange order. All right, the Orange Order is so, a supposed social club, if you will, um, that continues on even in America. So it, it's jumping across the Atlantic, and the, um, Amer- the the Protestants in New York City, who are members of the Orange Order, are now parading just as they did back in the old country, celebrating the Battle of the Boyne that was you know 300 years prior. Um, we left this shit back there, man. Right. What the hell? Yeah. So they're still they're still facing those same kinds of things in in this country, and you know the Orange Order would make it a point to have these parades. Well, where's the best place to really rub it in? Well, you're going to parade through uh, Irish Catholic neighborhoods just to let them remind them of who's really in charge here, who's who's the boss, who's who's uh, who's going to be taken charge. Um, well, anyhow, um, by uh, the time of the the of the 1870s, it's, this it's still going on. It's still going on, and they're having so these we got parades. Dead people's baggage is what you're saying. A lot of dead <laughs> right. people's baggage. Right, and you know, as I said, that a lot of times people lose sight of why do we hate them? Well, because they're not us, they're them. You know, so it's an us and them kind of a thing. And you're, you're telling me that the beautiful, forgiving nature of the Irish, <laughs> yeah, uh, is Irish. not being extended to the the British here in <laughs> the United States of America. Right. Yeah. They brought gang wars over. So now, not for nothing, uh, this happened one time. There's the Orange Riots, plural. Now there was the one the first year. That was they 18. thought was bad, and then we showed them how bad it can get the right, next year. Right, right. Uh, there was a, a riot on uh, on the July the twelfth, eighteen seventy. The twelfth of July is traditionally the the day that they celebrate the Battle of the Boyne back in the fifteen hundreds. Um, 
So now we're here, we're July 2nd of 1870, and they start the uh, this Orange Order of America, starts this parade. The parade route was to go up 8th Avenue to Elm Park, and at Elm Park, which is at 92nd Street, there was going to be a big picnic and a big celebration and everything else. Well, just to make sure that we're we're taunting the, the Irish Catholics as well. They have the parade route go through Hell's Kitchen, which was predominantly Irish Catholic. And then uh, a crowd um, at the park shows up um, well, of hecklers, and they start um, going at it that you have these uh, Irish laborers they, the work from the working class neighborhood, if you will, now start attacking the, uh, the Protestants uh, along the parade route. Um, the police are intervened or to try to quell the fighting. And in 1870, eight people actually died as a result of this, of this riot. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a Donnybrook, to be sure. Um, and then the following year, um, the following year, the Loyal Order of Orange requested police permission to march again uh, and fearing yeah, they another— They did not learn their lesson. No, they fear, fearing another violent incident— um, the parade is initially banned by the city police commissioner um, with the support of Mr. William Tweed, the head of Tammany Hall, all right, um, and the head of the Democratic uh, political party. Um, but then the, uh, and the, the Catholic archbishop, he says, yeah, that's a pretty good idea to avoid any of the violence that maybe we should just go off the parade. Why give him reason? And then somebody tries to intercede and uh, over, overturn that decision. I don't know if you wanted, you wanted to talk about that. or uh, But anyhow, the, the riot of 1870, it— it's over the 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 ban the parade ban was overruled. They're allowed to have the yeah. Uh, Tweed fell under pressure on that one. Fell so under pressure from outside forces, upstate forces. So and now then, who's going to be who's going to do security for these Protestants wanting to rub it in the Catholics' face? Do you think there's any Irish Catholic cops at the time, Dad? <laughs> no. Do you think they're figuring that out? Yeah, a couple I think, of, couple I of think Chief so, Wiggums, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Chief Wiggums. Yeah, maybe this wasn't the best idea. But anyhow, uh, the parade uh, uh, was to proceed with protection from 1,500 policemen and five regiments of the National Guard, about 5,000 men, just to protect the parade route. And another Donnybrook uh, uh, takes place when the crowd starts throwing rocks and stones and bricks and bottles and shoes and everything else and— at at the marchers at, at the at the cops at the uh, at the uh, the militiamen that were called from from out outside. Can you imagine uh, what that's like in there? I guarantee you, somebody ran into a pub and just said, "Hey, the uh, the Protestants are out there saying us Catholics are a bunch of violent douchebags. What do you say we go be violent douchebags?" <laughs> that's right. We'll show them what violence is all about. <laughs> but anyhow, it, it it just turns into a whole uh, melee and. Um, you know, as I said, the, the the militia fires on the crowd. Uh, I forget how many people. I think now instead of just eight people dying, I think like 40 people were killed in the riot of 1871. Oh, yeah, they so, escalated it uh, uh, yeah, sevenfold, it, I think. It, it, really got, it really got out of, out of control. So Again, that would be something that would concern the, uh, the people who, like you said, in a mafia war, when you're at war, you're not earning. So now these people are starting to get nervous. Well, the city's dangerous. 
am I going to have to move out of here? I mean, I live, I have a nice place up on Madison Avenue. You know, I'm a nice Protestant person. I'm a nativist here. I've been very tolerant of this new immigrant group coming in. And they're going to sit there and go ahead and pull all this shit. And now you're all of a sudden nervous. Are you safe? Yeah. So that's going to be a call for action on that one here. Yeah, the militia, the militia fired into the crowd, um, mostly Irish laborers. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, 60 civilians, mostly Irish laborers, are now dead. And three guardsmen were killed as well. Uh, over 150 people were wounded. Um, 20 policemen were injured by throwing rocks and, as I said, bottles, whatever, whatever was handy. Um, and then, um, you know, that, that, that was <laughs> – they decided, I think, after that that maybe we ought to calm down on the, uh, the whole Orangeman's Parade on the 12th of July. Yeah, well, maybe these that. Catholics are – maybe these Irish Catholics are as fucking concerned uh, – maybe we're not concerned with them enough, okay? Maybe that was the question they were asking here. Now, the thing that's going to hop in on this, uh, the reason why that's so prevalent is because these riots, that, that's the thing that started the downfall of Tweed. Tweed was supporting these guys. Ah, they're, they're really not that bad, you guys. Now, two years in a row, you got fucking riots. Right. So, um, when sixty people are killed, uh, maybe you don't have quite the control over them that you thought you did. Well, uh, now not for nothing. Um, there is a at the time, Tweed's already under attack from the papers, a political assassination, if you will. That uh, Harper's Weekly has a uh, what's the guy's name? Is Thomas Nast? Nast. You're right. Nast. So Thomas Nast has Harper's Weekly, which is like the Reddit Buzzfeed of its time. Okay? Right. And controlling um, the media. But here's the thing. They're able to simply control the media. They were so effective with the political cartoons they had. The New York Times, literally the New York Times, had been attacking um, Tweed for years. But Tweed didn't care about that because his constituents couldn't read. <laughs> right. So why the fuck are you going to care what they're saying? You know, someone's, uh, you know, someone's making uh, uh, hand signals at me, you know, telling me I'm a douchebag. I don't know what you're saying. So it's good to see you. I'll just wave and move on. Right. But uh, – no, I think that a lot of that was like tongue in cheek too. That uh, obviously there was con his constituents could read, but they weren't going to read anything that they weren't told to. Oh yeah, they weren't going to believe anything that they weren't told to believe. He could control that. What he couldn't control is how fat and rat-like and villain-looking he was able to be made by Thomas Portrayed, Nast. Right. Uh, and they always made sure to include that big diamond we talked about mm -hmm. too. Make sure everybody knows Boss Tweed's doing better than you. So. Um, those cartoons infuriated Tweed because he couldn't control how he was perceived from that one. The Times uh, had continued to go after him, but here's here's how successful the Times was. The New York Times was able to force the opening of the city's books for examination and audit. But our boy Tweed was so smart, he had the audit board filled with Tammany men. <laughs> like imagine Deflate Gate with Tom Brady, and they're like, we're going to have Bill Belichick look into this right. and get back to you. All right. <laughs> there you go. Figure it all out as we go. Yeah. But, what um, was the pressure on that? It's <laughs> and what was the temperature and what was the – yeah. Well, now with the riot on everybody's mind though because this riot, that's not a good look for Tweed. OK. Tweed's sitting there telling you, you guys got to be more tolerant. You know, um, He's already under investigation. So then you start digging through his shit and all of a sudden they're like, man, we've got years worth of shit on this Tweed guy. Yeah, he's got a long – And the, uh, the Times starts receiving more and more evidence of corruption and because of that, money began to stop coming in as it had been. And Tweed is unable to keep greasing the wheels necessary to his operation. Tammany lost even more support after the Times was able to leak Tweed's recently deceased bookkeeper's records. 
So that whole dead man tell no tales thing, right. not quite true. Not when you keep a ledger full of every dirty thing you've done right. over the last 10 years. Two sets of books. Indeed. Now, uh, the records were explained and shown in a massive four-page story. I mean, this is like a 60 Minutes exclusive uh, for the time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, in the New York Times titled Gigantic Frauds of the Ring Exposed. All right? Uh, you've heard of Lord of the Rings? This is Fraud of the Rings. <laughs> Fraud okay. of the Rings. So uh, Tweed began seeing the writing on the wall. So he was a smart guy. Even in his mistakes, he was smart. And he starts transferring his assets out of his name and to family members and trusted friends. Okay. But this uh, expose rocked New York City and its many European investors because if this money's as fucked as we think it is, we're not getting paid back all the money we've put into turning New York into, you know, pretty much it's if you had a, a, a company and all of a sudden you realize that you're never going to be able to pay back your investors and you're just going to get to walk away because there's no money, dude. All right. The crisis threatened to bring down every bank in the city. All right. Including Aaron Burr's Manhattan Bank. <laughs> back in the day. Exactly. Now, uh, at this time, the powers that be that had allowed Tweed to operate shoved him aside. Okay, they sat there and said, "We got to do something here. Our investors are concerned, and they're starting to run New York like a business." Okay, and they go ahead and they push him aside. They form something known as the Committee of Seventy. Okay, and Tweed's sworn enemy, Mr. Samuel J. Tilden, who would eventually run for president as well, um, is placed at the helm of this Committee of Seventy because he was a good and honest man, and they needed the wisest and best citizens of New York to step up to save us from financial collapse. So. Uh, Tilden appoints Andrew Haskell Green as the city comptroller, which was a Slippery Dick's job. Right, we okay. got rid of Slippery Dick. We got rid of Slippery Dick. And upon seeing the books, he Mr. Pulled out. Yeah, Green provided all the evidence they needed. And the uh, arrest of Boss Tweed was ordered the very next day. All right. So Boss Tweed. Yeah, it only took him a day to figure out that, you know, we need to arrest this guy. Yeah. I mean, gee, how bad were those books? That really makes you wonder. But uh, Tweed was arrested and released on $1 million bail, okay, which he was able to afford. So Tammany suffered at the voting polls that election because they, you know, you're playing up the thing of, oh, do you, you know, it, it's morning in America. Are you mm. ready for more orange riots? Mm. Do you want the continued fraud of the ring? You know, it's time to make a choice, America. And Tammany suffers at the voting polls, but Tweed? Tweet, the guy who just got out of jail for corruption, <laughs> was reelected to the state senate by a majority. <laughs> uh, he's the best. Um, now, because of that, Tweed does not flee the country like many other of the ring members, if you will, including Slippery Dick, who, I mean, he was Slippery Dick because you couldn't ever pin anything on him, but he was truly Slippery Dick because he escaped to France and lived out the rest of his life peacefully. As a fugitive in France. Well-financed. Well, very well-financed. <laughs> he, he, he had a nest egg developed. Oh, man. That's my you – know, if, if you had to run away tomorrow, what country are you going to? What country am I going to go to? Yeah. I don't think I'm going to buy my own. You're going to buy your own country right. if you have enough money for right. it? That's not a bad one there. The uh, Tweed was now rearrested. Okay. Rested again here. Now, this is before double jeopardy and all that other stuff kind of comes into play, I believe. But Tweed was rearrested, and his original trial ended in a hung jury. They couldn't decide what they wanted to do with him. He was still a popular guy, you know. Um, his retrial convicted him. Uh, the, the jury then convicted him on two hundred and four of two hundred and twenty crimes, or counts of crimes, I should say. Yeah, charges. So 
Tweed used his remaining power to plead down uh, the jail time. It's supposed to be 12 years in prison. He had it pled down to uh, several fines and one year of jail time. Okay, so he's still powerful even as he's falling. Right. So the city of New York then— yeah, I'm sure he called in a few chits on that one. Oh, though. you got to. I mean, that's what you <laughs> save these bad boys up for. You right. know what I mean? Um, the city of New York then sued Boss Tweed for $6 million it claimed had been lost via his admitted crimes. So, hey, you know all that stuff you fucked us over on? Well, here's the bill, pal. Mm-hmm. All right? But Tweed can't pay $6 million. He's got that. He's worth that much. Okay? They estimate it was uh, uh, at least $47 million that he embezzled from the, the city of New York. But uh, it's not all uh, – you know what I mean? It, it's his net worth was that, but he didn't it's have estimates. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have six million laying around that he could say, "Oh, here you go, guys." So, and he already started moving all of his money around to family and friends and shit like that. Uh, and again, having that big old mansion over there on Fifth Avenue doesn't really help. But uh, he cannot pay that six thousand, uh, six million dollars rather, and uh, he gets locked up and in, put into Ludlow Jail in New York City. But they're still so lenient with the guy that he's being allowed house visits. Okay. <laughs> He can go home, bang his wife, you know, stretch his feet out on the carpet, watch the Giants game. That's right. Whatever he wants to do. Uh, but during one of these escapes, I'm sorry, during one of these visits, rather, he escapes. Man, I really destroyed that sentence, didn't I? He escapes, all right? Gets out of that uh, that whole thing there. And he makes it all the way to Spain, all right? He climbs aboard a ship and works as an able-bodied seaman on a ship, makes it all the way into Spain. Upon arrival in Spain, he was detained at the port and sent back to America you want to talk about karmic justice right here? Because he was recognized from one of Thomas Nast's political cartoons. From the newspaper. Yep. All right. That's fucking karmic justice right there if I've ever heard it, man. So literally, like I always think about this. I have one picture of me that I hate that a bunch of my friends send me all the time that they use for comedy flyers and everything. It's a picture of me. I look super hungover. My face is as fat as it's ever been. Pretty my, accurate then. My hair was stupid. I'm handsome now compared to that photo. <laughs> that was a dark time in my life. But I imagine uh, in my... Nightmare scenario, that's the picture that you guys would use at my funeral, okay? That, <laughs> okay. That's what I'm remembered for forever. That's the one we'll put on top yeah. of the box. The worst sure. photo ever. Um, but uh, so now this guy sitting goes, I'm not fat, I'm big boned. And they're like, no, you're so fat that you look like your cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they bring him all the way back. He gets on board. The USS Franklin is the, uh, the military ship that brings him back. Uh, he is now in jail and suffering from pneumonia. And Boss Tweed, the proud man that he is, the the axe-wielding fireman, the uh, the genius of political corruption, the man who runs New York City, finally breaks down and offers to reveal his entire system of deceit and political machine in exchange for his release. That's all he wants. No deals. No, let me get back to the limelight. I just want out of jail, man. Right. Confesses to all the inner workings and all the layers of corruption that have plagued him from his moment he stepped into Tammany Hall. He's given enough information to destroy Tammany Hall. All right? Goes ahead, admits all of it. But like many of his dealings where he didn't live up to his end of the deal, Governor Samuel J. Tilden, governor of New York now, Samuel J. Tilden, ignores his part of the deal, gets the full confession from Tweed, and lets him die in jail. Tweed dies on April 12th, 1878, the current mayor of New York City at the time, a guy by the name of Smith Eli, all right, a kid from Jersey, nonetheless, too. You hear that, guys? If you want to grow yeah, up in Hanover, New Jersey, Jersey, you can be mayor of New York, all right? <laughs> Just look who they got now, that fucking walking putz. <laughs> um, Smith Eli, what well, the best part is, is that um, 
it doesn't matter what year you're listening to this and who's mayor of New York. They, they're always a walking putz. So. <laughs> um, but Smith Eli refused to allow the flag at City Hall to be put at uh, half-mast in honor of uh, Boss Tweet. There were people that thought he deserved that, that that was an honor that was being taken away from him. But there you have it, guys. The boss of New York is dead. And despite being the archetype for uh, corruption, not appetite for destruction, archetype of corruption, <laughs> uh, Tweed is also responsible for, as we said, the Brooklyn Bridge, the land that was set aside that would become the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the development of the Upper East and West Sides, and he facilitated the New York City Public Library. So there's a lot of bad that comes out of him, but there was some good, all right? Every now and then there was a he little— He made a few bucks on, on the good, but uh, that's uh, the price of doing business, I, was I guess, say, in New man, York if, City. If you had a—if there was a—I'm trying to think of a, a good way. If you had a tumor on your balls, <laughs> all right? If you had a tumor on your balls, all right. but one tiny part of it was made of pure gold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's essentially Boss Tweed's interactions with the city of New York. Now, a question for you here, because uh, we're going to wrap up in a second, and we do have to come back for the third part of this one. Uh, what a great topic on this one. I I'm loving it. Was there anything else that you missed out on here, LP? No, not that comes to mind right now. I'm sure uh, 10 minutes from now after we Yeah, on the ride off, home, you'll punch right. yourself in the Absolutely. kneecap and say, right. God damn it. Absolutely. Well, uh, let me, I'm going to end this That's one. That's my with usual a, uh, mode of operandi. I'm going to end this one with a couple of things here. We got... Uh, this is a quote from Tweed's biographer about what an interesting guy he is. Because like I said, this show started off, it was just going to be about Boss Tweed. But then in unpacking Boss Tweed, we discovered, I mean, just there's so much history here. But per his biographer, uh, and we'll leave with a, a question on this one, it's hard not to admire the skill behind Tweed's system. The Tweed ring at its height was an engineering marvel, strong and solid, strategically deployed to control key power points, the courts, the legislature, the treasury, and the ballot box. Its frauds had a grandeur of scale and an elegance of structure, money laundering, profit sharing, and organization. I mean, how fucking cool is that? <laughs> they even admire what a skillful scumbag you were. <laughs> That's right. So the question I'm going to end on here, guys, and uh, we'll come back for another one here. Check out, uh, if you love this podcast, do us a favor, subscribe, like, uh, share it, tell somebody about it, bully someone in a bathroom, and tell them to listen, whatever has to happen. Uh, I love doing it here. I want to say thank you to my father for making me love history. Thank you to Ming for being here today. Thank you for everything that you and Mike do for us. This podcast does not exist without a shared universe. Uh, that being said, the question we're going to ask, does Boss Tweed's end as he's dead in prison now? Does that end the power of Tammany Hall in New York City, Dad? Not by a long shot. Nope. Not by a long shot. Please tune in next week. We're going to wrap up this fucking ridiculous story <laughs> yeah. of Tammany Hall. Uh, and we're going to – it's going to be a banger of an episode too. We could not include it in two parts here, Ming. Uh, next week we're going to bring in a couple of names. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt gets involved with Tammany Hall for a little bit. FDR decides it's finally time to get involved and try to fuck with him a little bit. And then – the guy who pretty much is the king of whooping their ass. Uh, we like to fly out of Newark here in Jersey, but Fiorella Guardia. <laughs> right. He's not that. just an airport. He's also a badass right. politician, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen with that. Uh, anything, man? Oh, no. I'm, I'm, those are some heavy guns coming up. Oh, here. I, I can't wait, dude. So we, we even I, have to – we couldn't do the research for it. Yeah, so it's going to be three-parter though. It's like uh, the ultimate trilogies, everybody. This is uh, ambitious <laughs> as hell here. But once again, guys, thank you for listening. And this is the sec end of the second part of our episode for American Loser Tammany Hall. Thank you guys so much. And a man
American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.